It's Friday, it's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marx's American Week. Eddie, on this side of the Atlantic, the events on your side of the Atlantic this week attracted considerable interest. After all, America's constitutional guardrails entirely failed to harness the threat that Donald Trump and his supporters posed to this country's democracy last year, and it's still not clear whether they will prove sufficiently resilient over the long term. But Boris Johnson's decision, even if protracted, to respect constitutional convention certainly attracted notice on yesterday's breakfast TV shows here. Breaking news overnight, Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson has resigned after a series of scandals that caused dozens of his top government officials to abandon him. This was not a great speech. It was a very subpar speech. It was not historic. It was not Churchillian as he likes to compare himself to Churchill. It, it's a question of integrity. He has refused to go even though people have been calling for him to uh, hit the pavement for a while and he stuck around until he saw the writing on the wall. George Stephanopoulos of ABC with the news there. Christian Amonpour of CNN panning the Prime Minister's speech and Steve Ducey of Fox News living in an entirely irony-free zone. From the White House, the official response to Boris Johnson's demise was pretty chilling. A written statement by President Biden articulating the usual fealty to the special relationship with the UK and vowing to continue working with Britain, especially over the issue of Ukraine. But the President managed not even to mention the name of the Prime Minister whose fall had occasioned the statement. And the President's Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, also also never used Boris Johnson's name when she was first asked for reaction to the dizzying events in Downing Street. So I'll say this, our alliance uh, with the United Kingdom continues to be strong. Our special relationship with the people uh, in the country will continue to endure. None of that changes. And I will, I will remind you a week ago, just a week ago today when the president was uh, in NATO, uh, in Madrid, uh, for a historic NATO summit, as you heard him speak at the press conference, and you saw what happened. You saw a reassurance, a reaffirmation uh, of NATO countries uh, saying again what they are going to continue to do, continue to support uh, Ukraine in their We'll leave her there. The full answer goes on for 97 seconds and she never once name checks the Prime Minister. If there's a feeling among some in Britain that the UK might just have dodged a bullet as one former cabinet minister reportedly put it this week, Trump without the guns, from this end of the periscope there's some quiet admiration underway. America after all never saw mass resignations from the Trump administration even during its worst excesses. There were no Rishi Sunaks or Sajid Javids in Republican ranks, no mass walkouts when one last straw should have finally broken the camel's back. Writing in the New York Times today, columnist Michelle Goldberg expresses a touch of envy at watching in the UK a still-functioning democracy dispatching its bombastic populist leader. Meanwhile, Trump loyalists are rapidly offloading their Boris Johnson shares. There was no reason to oust him. There was no big issue of policy. Political strategist Dick Morris took to right-leaning Newsmax TV to insist that Boris Johnson was just a bit of a weakling, not so much Trump Britain as Trump light. It was simply that he lost control over events. Uh, the amazing thing about Trump is that because his agenda was so aggressive and so strongly pursued, he always controlled events. Even when they impeached him, he controlled the events mm -hmm. and controlled the dialogue. And uh, 
Boris Johnson just ran out of things to say. Analysis so desperate, if it was in a newspaper, you'd already be eating your chips out of it. At times yesterday, I wasn't sure where to hide. Nigel Farage was ubiquitous on television here. So too, Steve Hilton, the former advisor to David Cameron, now inexplicably an anchor on Fox News. I was out there this morning, so well, Boris is out, maybe Biden next, because everyone can see that Biden is not in control. He's not driving anything forward. And that's actually, in the end, what did for Boris Johnson. It didn't seem that he was leading either. He was just sort of bobbing around on the surface mm. of these scandals and not actually driving forward the changes that people want to see. We have all lived long enough now to see the day when right-wing media here is torching Boris Johnson and equating him with Joe Biden. Speaking of the US president, his approval ratings this week hit yet another record low, down to 36% in this month's Monmouth survey, with 88% of the country, yes, that's up again from last week, saying America under Biden is on the wrong track. And there's no great surprise in that, because this week, the country the president insists is going to win the struggle for global primacy in the 21st century couldn't even celebrate its own birthday without a mass shooting. What happened in Highland Park, an affluent suburb north of downtown Chicago, was another indelible stain on American society. Just as families were enjoying the start of the Independence Day parade there, a Norman Rockwell tableau of fire trucks and school bands and children's bikes and pets came under automatic rifle fire from a sniper on a rooftop. People were screaming, they were panicking and uh, and they just scattering and I, you know, uh, it was right on top of us. All of a sudden you hear these howitzer type noises coming. Pow, pow. I mean, a sound I've never heard before. By the time it was over, seven people were dead, ranging in age from 35 to 88. One toddler found wandering the streets, presumed to have been separated from his parents in the Malay, was, it turned out, now an orphan. 30 people were hospitalised and the gunman, 21-year-old Robert Cremo, was caught with a second rifle in his car that he told police he was planning to use in a second July the 4th assault. Christopher Covelli of the Lake County Sheriff's Department. We do believe Cremo pre-planned this attack for several weeks. Uh, he brought a high-powered rifle to this parade. He accessed the roof of a business via a fire escape ladder and began opening fire on the innocent Independence Day celebration goers. There is, in fact, evidence that Cremo may have planned the assault for as long as a year and a half. Or at least there was evidence until YouTube and other social media platforms hastily removed it from public view. Dating back 18 months, the man now accused of seven counts of first-degree murder left a string of deeply disturbing videos and other postings on social media clearly indicating he was planning an act of mass gun violence. I need to just do it. It is my destiny. Everything has led up to this. Nothing can stop me, not even myself. That those videos do not appear to have raised an eyebrow of concern at YouTube's offices is a question for them to explain. The authorities in Highland Park also face massive questions, given that Deputy Chief Covelli conceded that police identified Cremo so rapidly 
because they'd been aware of him ever since an incident back in 2019. A family member reported that Cremo said he was going to kill everyone and Cremo had a collection of knives. The police responded to his residence. The police removed 16 knives, a dagger and a sword from Cremo's home. But they didn't arrest him three years ago, saying they had no cause to do so. As that news was just sinking in, Eric Reinhardt, the local prosecutor, was making this somewhat baffling claim in a separate press conference. Illinois has a strong red flag law that keeps communities safe and respects everyone's rights. It allows courts to temporarily remove guns and prevent the purchase of new guns by individuals who pose a significant rest. Lovely, but in the case of Robert Cremo, that strong red flag law was never used. Even after police confiscated all those knives, the sword and the dagger, he was still able legally to purchase two assault rifles and an armful of pistols. So 24 hours later, Mr. Reinhardt faced the music from reporters. Sir, the shooter passed four background checks despite the fact that he said he wanted to kill everyone uh, and had this knife collection. How is that possible in a state with some of the strictest gun laws and how frustrating is that for you? So a couple things. Uh, I made these comments yesterday that I think we need to increase our awareness about the, the red flag law. We can certainly get you the details of that red flag law. We have a little bit of information about that today. Could the police have made that request, though, if the family didn't? Since the police went out to the home, could they have? It's on a case-by-case basis, and it would depend on the individual information that they had at that time. So, not that strong of a red flag law after all. Little wonder that the governor of Illinois, Democrat J.B. Pritzker, blew a gasket. If you're angry today, I'm here to tell you, be angry. I'm furious. I'm furious that yet more innocent lives were taken by gun violence. I'm furious that children and their families have been traumatized. I'm furious that this is happening in communities all across Illinois and America. While we celebrate the 4th of July just once a year, mass shootings have become our weekly, yes, weekly American tradition. There are going to be people who say that today is not the day, that now is not the time to talk about guns. I'm telling you, there is no better day and no better time than right here and right now. That speech, laced with passion and anger, sparked suggestions among Democrats that Governor Pritzker might consider running for the presidency in 2024. Not least because their own president, at a July 4th event at the White House, mustered only an oblique mention of the horror that had unfolded hours earlier in Highland Park. You all heard what happened today. But each day we're reminded there's nothing guaranteed about our democracy, nothing guaranteed about our way of life. We have to fight for it, defend it, and earn it by voting to refine, evolve, and extend the calling of America to move forward boldly and unafraid. And that was it, a president once again failing to meet the national moment. I rise in opposition to H.R. 2377. On Capitol Hill, Republican Congresswoman Debbie Lesko of Arizona decided this was a good week to come out against expanded red flag laws that would give police broader powers to remove guns from anyone deemed to pose a threat to the community. And her argument for opposing it was simply astounding. Listen to this carefully, all the way to the end. Can you imagine if you had a disgruntled ex- 
or somebody who hates you because of your political views and they go to a judge and say, oh, this person is dangerous. And that judge would take away your guns. Lean on the side of conservatism. Take away the guns. I have five grandchildren. I would do anything, anything to protect my five grandchildren, including as a last resort, shooting them if I had to, to protect the lives of my grandchildren. You did not miss here. She would consider shooting her grandchildren in order to protect her grandchildren from a crazy person with a gun. She actually said that on the floor of the House of Representatives. Again, the country that's going to win the battle for global domination. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. Another Republican saying the quiet stuff out loud, our old friend Lauren Bobart, the pistol-packing congresswoman from Colorado. Kudos to her, though. She won a primary contest last month, beating off a challenge from a centrist Republican trying to bring her antics on Capitol Hill to an end. Antics that now openly call for America to embrace Christian theocracy. I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk that's not in the Constitution. It was in a stinking letter, and it means nothing like what they say it does. That stinking letter is actually called the Bill of Rights. It was drafted in 1791 by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, and it's on exhibit in the National Archives. My fellow Americans... Please congratulate this year's Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. At the White House yesterday, the president handed out the Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor, to 17 remarkable Americans, including the gymnast Simone Biles, the soccer player Megan Rapinoe, former Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, who narrowly survived an assassination attempt, and posthumously to the late Republican Senator John McCain. And in speaking about his old friend in the U.S. Senate, the president almost seemed to be offering an elegy for Washington practice that have long ended. It was a long time ago. We both wanted to make things better for the country that we both loved, and that never wavered. We used to argue like hell on the Senate floor, but then we'd go down and have lunch together afterwards. We ran against each other, which I didn't like, on tickets to the highest office in the land. I was a candidate for vice president. He was the candidate for president. I never stopped admiring John. Never said a negative thing about him in my life because I knew his honor, his courage, and his commitment. That was John McCain. But it wasn't only John McCain. President Biden's generation of politicians came to Washington to bridge differences, find ways, even when it seemed impossible, to get things done for the collective good. The president never quite seems to understand that those days are gone. They're done for as a direct result of the extremism on the right that Donald Trump mainstreamed here. Which is why so many Americans are casting an envious glance, Eddie, across the Atlantic, wondering if the United Kingdom perhaps has just escaped a similar fate. Simon Marks's American Week back next Friday at a quarter to five. This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.